let's look at uh, Ephesians. And we'll go to read the first few verses of Ephesians chapter 5, and from verse 8 to verse 14, you'll see the words there on the screen. Ephesians 5, from verse 8 to verse 14. It's on page 1176 of the Pew Bible. Uh, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, for it is light that makes everything visible. This Wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Well, we're going to look at these words, but before we look at them, uh, let me say to any of the children here first to start with, what gives light? Name me one thing that gives light. Sun. Okay, that's a good start. Sun. Have you seen the sun recently? No. Yeah. A light bulb. I, was, I thought you said you gave light, which is, it's, that's actually going to be true, but a light bulb does give light. Anything else that gives light? Every child should have one of these. A torch. Exactly. You need a torch, and you must be allowed to take a torch to bed. That's the rules. Got to have a t- No? Sorry. Isla's looking at me as though I'm mad. No, a torch is great. I love a torch. It gives light. It shows light. Something else gives light, though, as well. The moon. Okay, moon gives light. What else? Matthew. What was that? God gives light. Brilliant. That is the correct answer. And God gives light in a strange kind of way through this. What's this? Samuel. Bible. God gives light to us. Now, in the same way as the torch gives light to your eyes, the Bible gives light to your mind so that you can understand about who God is. And that's what we're going to look at just now. You've got those sheets, so we're going to look at Ephesians 5 and verse 8, living in the light. Now, I want to show you the uh, words of a song up here. I wrote them down because uh, I've always been very, very impressed by one line in this song, but I thought the whole song and how it came about. It's a man called Bruce Coburn, who once saw his his little daughter who was in primary school holding hands with a a small boy which is in Canada. And he was very moved by this, and he was also very afraid because he thought that the world we lived in was a very dangerous place. And he wrote this song. Don't the hours grow shorter as the days go by? You never get to stop and open your eyes. One day you're waiting for the sky to fall, the next you're dazzled by the beauty of it all, when you're lovers in a dangerous time, lovers in a dangerous time. These fragile bodies of touch and taste, this vibrant skin, this hair like lace, spirits open to the thrust of grace, never a breath you can afford to waste, when you're lovers in a dangerous time, lovers in a dangerous time. When your lover's in a dangerous time, sometimes you're made to feel as if your love's a crime, but nothing worth having comes without some kind of fight. Got to kick at the darkness till it bleeds daylight. When your lover's in a dangerous time. That song, for those of you who know their music, was quoted by 
uh, Bono in one of U2's songs as well. But it's just talking about the fragility of the world that we live in, and sometimes we get overwhelmed at the darkness of the world that we live in. It is. Weather does really affect you, doesn't it? You know, I mean, some of you smiled and said, the sun, have you seen the sun? And uh, I know that for some of our American friends, this just seems a really, really strange summer, because it's a summer without sun. And uh, it does, it gets to us as well. Mind you, you can be, uh, I'm only saying all this because I'm heading off to Greece tomorrow, so tough, <laughs> but looking forward to seeing and feeling the sun. But it's, it, it really can overwhelm you sometimes. You, the, not, I'm not talking about the, the lack of physical sun in one sense, but darkness, grayness, miserableness. It really affects us. And we live in a world that in many ways is very, very dark. Now this passage that we're looking at is one that uh, go, talks about how we see light within that darkness. So let's look at it. Let's uh, see what it says. And we're going to look at it in two parts. Uh, the main part is the words up on the screen. And we'll sing something and I want to look at another couple of verses just to finish with. It's the whole symbolism of darkness and light in both the Old Testament and in the New Testament. Almost on every page you get this symbolism of darkness and of light. Darkness represents ignorance, error and evil. Light is goodness, truth and righteousness. We, um, if you're a visitor here, we redid this building uh, a couple of years ago. And um, before it was redone, it was actually a very, very dark building. Alistair I described uh, the church here as being a New Testament church in an Old Testament building. And part of that was the, the darkness. Those windows were all glazed with a kind of yellow secondary glazing. We had uh, orange lights that weren't very light. And uh, the whole building was actually very, very dark. Some churches that you go into, they are very dark and people associate darkness with them. Well, there's a problem with that in terms of the Bible and in terms of, of, of biblically because darkness represents ignorance, error, and evil. But we need light. And in our world, we need light. And in the, not just the light of the sun, not just the light that comes from torches and light bulbs and so on. But we need light within our lives, light within our communities. Some of us and some of you here may feel right now that you are in a very, very dark place. It's a place that you're scared of. It's a place that you do not want to be. It's not, you'll notice here that uh, Paul says, you were once darkness. You were once darkness. Not just you lived in darkness, but you were darkness. And he says, now you are light in the Lord. Not just that you live in the light, but you are light. And when we heard, we said, me, what's light? What gives light? Me, actually, that is the answer to the question. We are to be light. Um, I, don't, I don't think I had the nerve to sing it. Uh, maybe I've got somebody to 
come and get it going. But the, there's a, a spiritual song, This Little Light of Mine, I'm going to let it shine. Um, you'd really, really have to be prepared to swing it if you were going to sing that. And looking at you just now, there's not many of you prepared to swing it. But we'll, we'll work on you. But this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. That's, that's what we are looking at. How is it possible that we can be light? How do we live like children of the light? How do we radiate the light of the Lord? Now you are light in the Lord. What does it mean then to live in the light? Two things first. Fruit and guidance. Light is fruitful. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. When it talks about us being light, if we are believers in Jesus, it means that we are showing these comprehensive moral virtues. It's the image of a life ripening under the sun. When we had the sale of work here a, a while ago, um, my daughter was daft enough to get some tomato plants. I have no idea what you do with tomato plants. Stick them in a window and hope that the sun shines on them. Um, there's other things. You can advise us on that afterwards. But I, I do know this. You do need light. You need to put them in a place of light. There are some things that grow in darkness. But spiritual fruit grows in spiritual light. You turn to Galatians chapter 5, for example, and you find that the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness, goodness and gentleness and self-control. This is the message we have heard. 1 John 1 verse 5 says, And declare to you, God is light. In Him there is no darkness at all. So, what happens is, as we hear about Jesus, as we learn of Jesus, as we believe in Jesus, as we trust in Jesus, then light comes into our lives. And the light of Christ shines in us, and the light of Christ shines through us. So when we sing, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine, we are talking about Jesus shining through us. It is... Uh, incredibly important and incredibly fruitful. Light also guides, verse 10, find out what pleases the Lord. A key part of the fruit is what pleases God? What would Jesus want us to do? That's a great principle for living the Christian life. It's not saying that God makes it difficult. It's not saying that God gives us a wee puzzle and we've got to try and work it out. It's saying that light guides us, that light shows up the darkness, that light shows us the way. I don't know if you've ever been out walking in the countryside. Um, I grew up on a farm and sometimes I'd come home quite late at night and you'd have to walk and even a road that I knew really, really well if there was no moon out, or the moon was covered, and uh, there was cloud, and it was dark, it's, it can actually be quite scary. Even having just a small torch really does make an enormous difference. Well, in, in this world, in the city that we live, in the communities that we live, the lives that we have, it can be really confusing knowing what's right and knowing what's wrong. It can be really confusing knowing what God wants us to do. And so we pray in the words of the psalmist, Psalm 42, Send forth your light and your truth. Let them guide me. 
Let them bring me to your holy mountain, to the place where you dwell. Then I will go to the altar of God. God, my joy and my delight. I will praise you with the harp. O God, my God. We praise God because we receive light. And I think as, as we praise him as well, that almost increases the light because we learn more of who Jesus is. So light does two things. The light of God's word, the light of Jesus, shines upon us that we can produce spiritual fruit. And the light guides us, shows us the way in a world that is confused and confusing but then light does some other things as well. It's transparent and it exposes. The whole idea of light includes openness and transparency. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. Has the idea of living joyfully in the presence of Christ with nothing to hide and nothing to fear. If you go on television and you hear a politician saying, We've got a culture of transparency and openness. You immediately think, what are they hiding? When people say that, when people say they are being transparent, let me be completely honest with you. And you know that the one thing they're not going to be is completely honest with you. When they say, we've got an open relationship, that's not what it means. But here, it is exactly what Paul means. He means that the light of Jesus shines so much that... It exposes, it does two things, it shows what we are, and it shows what our culture is, and it shows who other people are. In this way, says Jesus, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds, and praise your Father in heaven. I don't believe in Jesus, people say. I don't believe in God. Show me God. What do they expect? They expect a miracle, they expect a vision. God says, yeah, I'll show you. And he shows us in different ways, but one of the key and the most important ways is this, that people may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Again, back to you are the light of the world. Back to this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. How will they know? They will know because of the love we have for one another and they will know because of the, the works that flow from Christ within us. Light is transparent and light exposes. That's why he says, have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. For it's shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, for it is light that makes everything visible. Paul in 2 Corinthians 6.14 says, Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship does light have with darkness? When we know something is wrong, when we know a worship practice is wrong, when we know it's idolatry, when we know it's wrong, then it is not loving and it is not right and it is not good for us to pretend that it is otherwise. When we know what pleases the Lord, then we are to do what pleases the Lord. And if we know that something displeases God, then we have nothing to do with those works. The works of darkness are unfruitful, unproductive, and barren. There is nothing beneficial about them. 
Not only are we not to take part in them, but we are to expose them. Now that happens, you don't have to go finger pointing, that happens because you are light. Wherever the light is, it shows the darkness for what it is. Light exposes evil. Evil deeds deserve to be unmasked and to be rebuked. Why do many people continue to walk towards hell? Because in many places they do not see the danger. Now, we have to be careful here. This does not mean that we are constantly going around telling other people what is wrong with them. In fact, Paul even says here there are some things that should not even be mentioned, or perhaps he means, as we saw last week, the way in which they are mentioned. But the best way to show people, to stop people stumbling and falling, the best way is to shine a torch, to shine a light on the path. And in that sense, it is the light that is in the Christian that makes the difference. Cursing the darkness is okay, but lighting a candle is much, much better. And that's why it's so important, if you are a Christian, how you live. How can, you, how can people around you, how can your family, how can your friends, how can your workmates hear about Jesus? You could, if you want, carry lots of banners and placards basically saying, down with that sort of thing. You could condemn lots of stuff that's going on. You could complain and moan about the evils that exist in our culture and in our society. And if you wanted to be particularly unpopular, you could go and, uh, and tell everyone else their sins whilst conveniently forgetting your own. But there's a better way. And the better way is this, that the light of Jesus Christ shines in us. That means we have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness. We don't excuse them. We don't justify them. But we live in such a way following Jesus that it will become evident that we belong to Christ and that there is a difference. That incidentally is why Jesus said that those who sought to follow him would suffer persecution. Cursing the darkness is okay, but lighting a candle is so much better. One other thing about light, it changes things. There's a process called photosynthesis, which is basically as the light comes on the plants, it changes. It's like our tomato plants. Uh, when we come back from holiday, there'll be loads of tomatoes, because not having done anything, shining in the window, the light, the sun, we go on holiday, it's pretty well guaranteed the sun is going to come the minute that we go on holiday. And the light will shine in and there's this process that occurs that that sunlight turns into fruit. The light does more than just show things up. The light shines and even turns the darkness into light. Exposure shows up people for what they are, but the light which exposes also has an evangelistic power and it changes people. The light of one soul making another light. It brings people to see the ugliness of sin and to a real penitent faith in Christ. It makes visible and it makes light. We want God. 
to shine. There's that song that many people know, Graham Kendrick, was for a while the song to be sung everywhere, Shine Jesus Shine. Now most respectable Christians regard it as a wee bit twee, but it's basically fine. Shine Jesus. How does, how does Jesus shine? How can Jesus shine in the darkness of our world? By us believing and reflecting Jesus Christ. Paul quotes this, finishes this off by quoting a verse. Wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Probably part of a baptismal or an Easter hymn that was sung in the early church. It's uh, reflective, I think, of Isaiah 61 and verse 1. And what he's doing here and what's happening in this song is using an image saying, before you believed in Jesus, your life was like being asleep. Your life was like death. Your life was like darkness. But now you have been born again. You've been woken up. You've been raised from death and brought into life in Jesus Christ. And that is the key thing. We live in the light of Christ, who is the light. I am the light of the world who takes away the sin of the world. Again, uh, for any of the boys and girls as well, when you get woken up, I don't know how someone wakes you up, but uh, one of the most horrible ways to be woken up is when someone just shakes you, go on, wake up, get up. Um, a much nicer way is when they, they open the curtain gently and the light shines in and the sun bathes on your face and you go, oh, and, the, and you wake up. The sun, the light is reflecting on you. Good way to wake someone up is just get your torch again. See, this torch is really handy. Get your torch and just shine in their face and say, Mom, Dad, are you awake? And they are once you shine the light in their face. And you can tell them, if they complain about it, you can tell them it's biblical. Because that's, wake up. Wake up. Let the light shine. We need to do that. Isn't it incredible that sometimes you come into church and... and you kind of fold your arms and you sit there and you're really, really, really sleepy. Now, why are you sleepy? Because the chairs are comfortable, because you're tired, because you're not doing much, because you're not being continually stimulated or whatever. But sometimes I think there's a worse kind of sleepiness than physical sleepiness. It's a spiritual sleepiness. And what Paul is saying to the Ephesians, what God is saying to us is, wake up, wake up and let your light shine. Okay, uh, let me ask the boys and girls a couple of quick questions. Anyone got a name? Who's got a name? <gasps> What's your name? Okay, do you know what it means? You don't know. What does it mean? Fiery one. Fiery one. I love it. What a great name. And does it suit you? Yeah, it does. Great. Ewan, what does it mean? Young warrior. Go fight. Excellent. Great. I see, uh, I'm surprised. Have you got any other brothers or sisters called Braveheart or Wallace or anything? No. <laughs> Fiery one in you. That's brilliant. Let's have a girl's name. Elsa. What does Elsa mean? Loved by God. You know, that's the equivalent of David. That's what David means. It means loved by God, loved by everyone. Mm. Samuel. Do you know what Samuel means? What does that mean? House of the Lord. Heard of the Lord. Heard, that's right. Heard of the Lord. 
heard of the Lord. We have Madeline. Do you know what your name means? No. Okay. I need to give you some counseling and help you along with that. I will find out. There's someone in this church called Sophia. See the word up there? Sophia. Do you know what Sophia means? It's a beautiful word. It's like Zoe. It's one of my favorite words ever. It means wisdom. And that's what we're going to look at just now. About how wise we are and what wisdom means. When we look at these next three verses that are up there, verses 15 to 17. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. I would hear where I grew up, I'd quite often hear, and especially women actually, they'd say about somebody, oh, he's no wise. And you'd think, what does that mean? I always think, what does that mean? What is wisdom? Now, sometimes we think wisdom is the amount of knowledge that we have. But you can read Wikipedia all you want. You can get lots and lots and lots of knowledge. You still won't be wise. Paul says, we have to be wise. We have to live as wise. So it's really a way that we live. And the Bible uses another way. It says it's the way that we walk. If there's a path... And the light shows us the path, then we've, we walk in that path. You can walk falling over, you can walk backwards, you can crawl, but there's a way to walk that is right. And Paul says that we are to walk worthy of God's call. We are to walk in love, we are to walk as children of light. He says, in particular here, look carefully how you walk, how you live. You take care over, many people will take care over their jobs, over their education, over their appearance. How much more should we take care over how we walk in the light? And two things in particular he says here, and I'm not going to go into this in great detail, but two basic principles. Firstly, wise people, if you want to really be wise, wise people make the most of their time. Making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. We are a society that is materially rich, that we are cash rich, but we are time poor. Some of you, maybe, maybe some of you, your problem is you have way too much time on your hands. You, you've got all day to sit and play war games or whatever it is. You've got loads of time. But for an awful lot of people, the problem is the other way. We have so little time. You've got your mobile phone, and you come out with your phone, and you uh, decide you're going to meet with somebody. And you look at your diary, or you take this, this thing here, it's a diary as well. And you, you open up your diary, and you say, yeah, I think I can do about a couple hours in two weeks' time in an evening. Let's see if we can do that. And you, it, it really is quite incredible how little time some people have. Now, as I said, some people seem to have too much time, and some people seem to have very, very little. Well, all of us, Paul tells us, we need to make the most of our time. The time is passing, and the days are evil. There are bad things happening in the world, and that should not surprise the Christian. We should not be shocked when we read something in the newspaper, when we see something happening in our area, when we're aware of things 
these things shouldn't completely shock us because we know that, that it's the world that we live in. Even I was flicking through the courier for this past week and just when you read some of the things that are in there, a woman being shoved out of one of the locky flats and being killed, um, other, other people dying for different reasons, the, some of the cruelty that goes on between different people. It's just, you read it and you get really, really depressed. And the Bible says, well, wait a minute. We've told you that. That's the darkness. You have to live as light in the middle of the darkness. I lived in this place called Broda, which was a, a, it's a lovely highland village. And you'd get people who go up on holiday and they'd go, oh, isn't it wonderful going to Broda? It's beautiful. It's beside the sea. It's a highland village. And, you know, they would want to retire. What we called white settlers would sell their, their houses in London and they would move up to Broda and run a hotel for about 12 months before they packed it in and got out. Because paradise was full of sin. Remember one lady from Broda, Anna Sutherland, who's from there, who became a, mi a missionary to the Jews, Christian witness to Israel. And... Uh, Anna's motto for Broda was this, where sin abounds, that's Broda, grace superabounds. It's funny when we say about living in Dundee, that there are people who will say, oh, well, I don't want to live in this area. Well, actually, there are people from elsewhere in Scotland who say, I don't want to live in Dundee because it's scum D, or because it's, it's this, that, and the other thing. Or I don't want to live in this area. Bruce is talking about working in Kirkton. Oh, no, I don't want to live in Kirkton. I want to live in the ferry. Except in some parts of the ferry, you might say, I don't want to live in that part. And it goes on and on and on. Whereas the Christian attitude is, wherever I live, I'm going to be light. And if the place is really dark, it means my light's going to shine all the brighter. Wise people make the most of their time. We should, there are bad things happening in the world that should not surprise us. But we need to make use of our time. There's an advert in a newspaper appeared once, I quite like this, that said, Lost yesterday, somewhere between sunrise and sunset, two golden hours, each set with 60 diamond minutes, no reward offered, for they are gone forever. One thing you will guarantee, the hour that you've just lived, you never get back. You never get back. The week that's just gone by, you never get back. Unplanned time, says somebody, I can't even remember who it was, I would say Spurgeon, but that would be just making it up. Unplanned time is certain sin. It's not saying that every minute of our life has to be neatly structured and put down in a file of facts or in a diary or some kind. It's just simply saying this. The most precious thing that God has given you, one of the most precious, health is one, but another is unquestionably the time that you have. Unwise people make the most of their time. Who knows how much longer we have left in this world. You do not want to be on your deathbed regretting the time that you have wasted. Secondly, wise people discern the will of God. Jesus said, not my will, but yours be done. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Nothing is more important in life than to discover and to do the will of God. Now, there are two different aspects of this. There's one is what's called the general will, and the other is the particular will. The general will is what's general for all of us. For example, to make us like Christ, to live light as light in the Lord. That's what God wants. But the particular will are the particulars of our own lives. Should we marry? If we do so, who should we marry? 
Should we be single? If so, what should we be doing? What jobs should we do? The general will is revealed in Scripture. The particular will is not revealed in Scripture. And it would be a mistake to try and find it there. There are general principles, but detailed decisions have to be made after careful thought, prayer, and seeking of advice from mature and experienced believers. And that's where wisdom comes in. Real wisdom is more than knowledge. It's even more than Bible knowledge. Real wisdom is knowing and maturing in our relationship with God and walking with God so closely and so perceptively that we are enabled to develop a godly character, live thoughtfully, and make proper choices in life. And if we do not have this wisdom, then the simple thing is, ask God. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. Doing God's will is not a matter of irrational impulse. I woke up in the morning and I felt I ought to do this. Some of you say, well, I don't always feel God telling me to do something. Well, in that case, you're normal. That's the normal Christian life. In fact, I'd be far more concerned about you if you said, I always feel God telling me to do something, and I'm always going to do what God tells me to do. Do you really go into a cafe and say, Lord, what should I eat? Choose from the menu for me? No, that's not how it works. And it doesn't work that way almost with anything else. Of course there are exceptions. Of course there are times when there's a spectacular intervention from God. But that is by definition spectacular. Most of the time, Jesus' will is straightforward. I want you to follow me. I want you to walk in the light. And the particular details of that we work out as we go along. Doing God's will is not a matter of irrational impulse, but of careful reflection. So these two things... We, we live as light in this world, and we live as wise and not foolish. We don't want anyone to be saying of us, and especially God, or she's no wise, or he's no wise. And we certainly do not want to be living in darkness. Maybe you're here, and you're not yet a believer. You don't want to live in darkness. You need to come into the light. Maybe you are a believer, but your light is hidden. It's hidden like under a bowl. You need to let your light shine. And all of us need to be wise. Don't despair at the darkness. Don't despair at the lack of light in our community and in our culture. Because God has called us to be light. And it's a fantastic opportunity. Where grace, where sin abounds, grace superabounds. Every time, I know it sounds such a cliche, but every time you walk into a room... Every time you are part of a conversation, every time you are, as a Christian, living with other people, your light is shining. And the darker the, the despair, the darker the circumstances, the more the light of Jesus shines. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you that you have called us from darkness into light. Thank you that you tell us what pleases you. Help us to have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness. Help us instead, O oh Lord, to wake up and to be careful how we live, making the most of every opportunity. Grant that we would understand what your will is and that we would be doers as well as hearers of it. For we ask it in your name. Amen. 
You've been listening to a sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee, the historic church of Robert Murray McShane. For more sermon content, please visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk. That's www.stpeters-dundee.org.uk. For information and training on persuasive evangelism and how to share your faith biblically, please visit the website of SOLAS, the Centre for Public Christianity, at solace-cpc.org. Once again, that's www.solas-cpc.org. Thanks for listening.